This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. You're listening to the Mostly Harmless Podcast. At least you better be. friends welcome to the mostly harmless podcast i'm your host damn it damien all right buddies i've spent the last 30 minutes trying to record an introduction for this this episode normally i ramble way too much at the beginning and even still i probably am but today we hang out and we chat with the remaining members of tin horn prayer tin horn prayer just recently back in what november released their last two song ep it's called love under will has the songs all good wayfaring sons and once more uh it's kind of a um it's dedicated in the memory of mike herrera and camden who uh both passed away far far too soon i think we can all pretty much agree with that andy thomas he's a longtime friend of mine we've toured together hung out i've known him for years he asked me if i was okay with if I wanted to do a last Tin Horn Prayer interview, and I got to tell you, this is the thing that I've been struggling with is I don't want to do the last Tin Horn Prayer interview. And I don't think this is, and that's the point I want to get at, is that hanging out with all these guys at this at Cerebral Brewing, the furthest Tin Horn Prayer place to be at, this wonderful, wonderful little microbrewery pretty much next door to Lost Lake, uh, where me and Andy were supposed to go see Jessica Lee Mayfield and didn't make it to the show. Anyway, we met up to talk about the band and hanging out with, you know, uh, Scooter, Dan, Eric, Ethan, and Andy. It's like, I get it. This This is a stop moment for now. But these are guys who just put out a great two-song record in memoriam for their two lost members. And I don't think this is it for them. I don't think this is the last Tin Horn Prayer interview. And I, I and I really and truly hope it's not. I hope this is just the last interview before the next phase in that band. Because these guys are all so great together. They're so wonderful. They're such wonderful guys. And they have such wonderful stories to tell. And 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 I'm, I'm a little... I'm a little... We, we we were drinking. I'm a little fucking drunk, and and I love every one of these guys, even the ones I don't know that well. And we told some. They got to tell some really great stories. And this is all Andy Thomas's brainchild, and I can't take any credit for this. Um, he just wanted a place where they could all talk. And hopefully, you guys get a little bit of. I I, I don't even know what to say, man. Hopefully, we can all get a little bit of satisfaction that these guys like Camden and Mikey touched us and touched our lives. And um, I didn't get a chance to in the interview, but I want to tell you just real quick, I'd, I'd met Mikey over the years in the Blackout Pact, but the first time I ever actually sat down and talked to him, Sleeper Horse played their first and only show in Colorado Springs. They played at the music venue I used to run, the Triple Nickel Tavern. And I'm pretty sure I spent the entire night talking talking Josh Friedman's ear off, as I often do. Um, either him or Maddie Clark, who knows, or Mike, I don't know. And uh, I, 
I don't. I got paid at the Triple Nickel Tavern in a bar tab, so I would just buy everybody shots all night long. I didn't make any money. I did it because I loved doing it, and I loved the bands playing, and I got to meet guys like Mike Herrera, Matty Clark, uh, Andy Thomas, Scooter James, and all these fantastic guys. And at the end of the night, I just know that Sleeper Horse gave me all their money because they knew I wasn't making anything off that night's show. And Josh likes to bring that up. That's why I think I talk Josh's ear off the most. But it's one of those moments where it's just like, you can't help but think, like, of course Mikey would be like, all right, the 40 bucks we made from this shitty show in Colorado Springs, let's give it to the promoter so he'll put us down here for a good show or any of those guys. But that's that's my fondest memory of, of Mike Herrera. And uh, we had talked about doing a podcast a, a handful of times. It just it never never happened. And I'm I, I'm sad for that, but but I got we got the we have this moment with Tinhorn Prayer and, and and these wonderful wonderful men that met up with me at Cerebral Brewing. Again, I can't say enough kind words to those guys. Great brewery. They hooked us up. They, they had no idea who we were, or what we were doing in the corner, but they they hooked us all up. They gave us a pretty good bar tab when they found out what we were doing here. And uh, so thank you, Cerebral Brewing, and and thanks to you know you know. Camden and Mike for their everlasting influence on the world. Uh, thanks to Scooter, Andy, Dan, Eric, and Ethan for hanging out and chatting. And thanks for making an impression on my life that I'm going to carry and hold hold on with me. Um, so I'm going to shut the hell up because you don't want to listen to me. You want to listen to these stories. And let's let's play the first song off the new Tin Horn Prayer EP. Uh, you can find it at tinhornprayer.bandcamp.com. It's called... Uh, it's called Love Under Will. Uh, and let's listen to the Scooter James song off this. It's called All Good Wayfaring Sons. And uh, let's hear some stories from the guys. All right, buddies. <laughs>
Everything we ever had At all points in between We were pouring out our guts For anyone who'd stop and see Our hearts carved out a place here you know exist Moving mountains without ever really knowing that we did Jessica Lee Mayfield's playing next door, but we realized she'd probably be back in four months anyway. Yeah. So. But we had already made plans to do this here, reserve the tables and everything. Because yeah. this place just seems too nice of a place to talk about. <laughs> it is nice. Tin Horn Prayer. I feel like we should be like in a at the basement of the high dive, covered in PBR. It smells like stale beer, which is how we typically smell. So. Yeah. That's a petting zoo vibe. I'm not gonna elaborate on that. Double petting zoo. Uh, we played uh, a couple breweries in our day. Yeah, and uh, probably drink a few out of beers as well. We drank a lot of beers in our day. I mean, and we still do. We we saw a thousand faces and we rocked. I don't know, at least ten percent of them. Yeah. I've only had two beers ever in my life. I've never been rocking any faces. It doesn't count if it's like one long continuous. If you don't stop, it's like one giant beer, a little gap in the middle, another giant beer. All right. So, Andy, you're the loudest of everybody, which... It's not a surprise. Not a surprise. Um, I'm going to turn up the microphone. I don't know. I wish you had headphones. If this was a professional outing, we would have headphones for you, too. Have we started? Yeah, sure. Why not? Okay. <laughs> Do you want to... We can start over. Yeah. I was just here. Everyone check. 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 Eric's the quietest. I'll yeah. just shove this in your mouth. Just talk with my hand. Yeah. 
Uh, so yeah, so we're here today. Andy, you brought us all together. This was kind of your idea. You were like, hey, dude, do you want to do one with the boys? Yeah. About the new release. What was your What was your thought? What did you want to accomplish today? Um, part of it was just uh, we're kind of doing everything one last time. Um, I had been on your podcast before. I don't know if these guys ever had been. Scooter has been on before. Uh, one year ago today, that episode with Scooter really? went up. That's why we're really doing it, to commemorate yeah. the one-year anniversary. One, an- one year anniversary of drinking Yay, too many Coors Lights or Scooter. Hopefully this one goes better than the last one. Oh, that was great. That was great. We're yeah, you really phoned it in last time. I don't. Well, we were yeah. both drunk. I don't remember actually doing um, it at all. So anyway, we... Uh, I mean, it's weird also when you put out a record. There's like certain things that you're supposed to do. You're supposed to do some press around it. And we did this release obviously to commemorate Mikey and Camden and it felt weird to do like a lot of press and promote it but I figured if there's anything we could do it'd be to kind of talk to you and you're our buddy so we just figured like you know one last chance to kind of tell dumb stories and also say that we recorded new songs but other than that yeah no agenda what, what do you want out of this Gilbert uh, I just before we get too far along, I just want to make sure you got our list of off-limits stuff that we won't talk about, <laughs> uh, which is extensive, uh, especially you, for me. Could you remind me of what that list Scooter is? Scooter and Miley Cyrus needs to be off the table. I don't have that. Eric, what's a, what's it's none a no go there subject? Mm, Ethan, actually, I don't want to talk about Ethan. I don't want to talk about Ethan. Unanimous, no Ethan. <laughs> Who? That's no the spirit. Knows. Exactly. See, you're a pro. Yeah. Right Let's off the bat. This. Let's get to this. Uh, so, and also, I, I noticed uh, February 13th would have been the, uh, was that the last show? The memorial show? Yeah, I think so. That's, uh, that's coming up. Right. Yeah, I guess we could have thought about that. <laughs> yeah, that's that was the last time as a full band. Yeah, February sure. 13th, so it was like a year ago the last that time we played. So. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, that was kind of weird, too, to think about how we, I guess, well, let's go back a bit. For people who don't know who we are. Yeah, yeah, this is Tin Horn <laughs> Prayer, by the way. <laughs> this is Tin Horn Prayer. We, uh, we thought we lost two members in a year, original members. Turns out we did lose Camden in uh, 2014 and then Mikey in October of 2015. But we did reunite in 2014. Uh, and then we put out our last release. You know, what's also weird is we always put out our releases in November. So we put out our, we put out uh, whatever that first record was called, Get Busy Dying, in 2013, November 2013. No, wait. I don't know any dates. It was on November, though. So, yeah. And then our, our last show before uh, the memorial show was our record release for uh, Grapple the Rails. Yeah. Yeah, that was in November. And so that was how many years before? It was like two years before the before Cam's show. I believe so. This is great and highly professional. I love it. Just like the entire existence of your band, right? So, so what are we talking about? We want kind of want to talk about like the whole history of the band and, and everything is kind of like the one last hurrah, like kind of. Yeah, let's go for it. Well, I, I mean, I, I could start by just kind of saying, for me, what this band meant. Um, 
you know, all these guys are really well known for bands they've played in. Um, I mean, I met I met Andy in Grand Junction around like 2000. And, uh, for my first real band, we had like three shows booked in two weeks, and then our drummer quit like three days before, and Andy filled in on drums and just killed it. So I've known him since then. But um, when I moved out to Denver about nine years ago, I, I had been playing music and didn't know if I really would. And I kind of just lucked into getting into Tin Horn Prayer because being friends with Andy and they wanted to have a add a bass player. And it's just kind of been pretty much one of the biggest things in my life aside from my wife. Um, and, and I'm just always going to remember it. I mean, I'll continue to maybe play music here or there, but nothing will ever be like my experience with Tin Horn Prayer. It's all my best memories, um, good and bad. I mean, uh, the bonds I have with these guys, even if, if I go two years without talking to one of these guys for some reason, like it doesn't diminish the way it does with, with uh, other people you might hang out and drink and party with. Um, I mean, just, I'll just never forget these guys, what they mean to me. Um, this band, you know, like when when Tin Horn comes on 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 a shuffle on my my iPod, where you know a lot of times when it's your own band, you'll skip it, stuff yeah. like that. You've heard the song a million times. For me, it just like brings back a flood of memories and emotions that um, just I don't know if anything will be able to compare to it for me. And also, that's with, it. With Thought Ethan we weren't talking about Ethan. He's <laughs> <laughs> talking about us. Cool. Oh, that's cool. With Ethan joining as our bass player, it a he brought a lot with the way he plays. And initially, I think Mike was wanting to try out like stand-up basses, which I'm really <laughs> well. Obviously, he's busy, but and I'm I'm really really glad that we didn't go with the stand-up bass player because I think it would have added an element to our sound that I don't. It would have put us in a different category, I think, just because of the way a stand-up bass sounds. Um, yeah. Plus, you guys were like the punk rock band who, you guys weren't country, but you guys were playing punk right. rock. I think I think it would have gotten that like almost like rockabilly or psychobilly like categorization. I think we would have gotten lumped into that kind of into those kind of shows, and we never. We played a lot of different kinds of shows <laughs> like with a lot of different yeah. kinds of bands. We never got lumped into any kind of genre so well and, and I was fortunate enough I know it was what you, you two were the only two that were at the first show were you in the uh, Chuck yeah. Reagan yeah. Black Sheep yeah. show yeah yeah, yeah so oh. I, I was lucky enough to be at that first Tin Horn that was show. <laughs> yeah that was so that was strange <laughs> And, and so, the thing so, about it. So how did that come together? How did because that seemed yeah. a little half ass It was like, hey, maybe we can put together a band. That well, yeah, we. So show. we weren't. I mean, in my mind, Tin Horn Prayer was like never supposed to be a band. Right. It was supposed to be like a side project for all the rest of us. It was. It was me, Eric, Mikey, Corey, Trendler, and that one guy <laughs> some guy that played mandolin. Nick, I think. Hank, I think it was Hank. Yeah, Nick? I first forget about him. G Gary, <laughs> there's a video of it somewhere. Yeah, yeah, well, no, there's there's a bunch of videos. The of it video's on YouTube. funny because you just see the four of us, and then this mandolin player will just wander into the like the yeah. sot and be looking at everyone's fingers to see what we're doing, and then kind of wander back. Yeah, because he didn't really know the sight. He did well enough. One thing about this band too was 
no one planned for this band to be the way it was. Like Andy said, it was a side project. The first few shows, you know, everyone was sitting down. It was a lot more mellow, which is people who saw us just four months later. I mean, it was um, it was fairly aggressive. It, it was a party set, you know, people throwing beers everywhere and stuff like that, which I think people would hear our music now would, would kind of think of us as kind of jumping into that um, something that that phenomenon that kind of started taking place a few years ago with you know a lot of folk mixed with modern types of music which we we had absolutely no plan for that yeah. I remember when uh, we were going to practice and I think I was riding with Andy and Andy was like oh Mike said we have a drummer now we're practicing with a drummer and we were both kind of like what that's not that's not what kind of music we're doing and I mean it really just took off from there because I remember we played, we, we started doing a couple shows. I mean, it was a band. We'd play shows, but, like, we didn't have a drummer. We don't, yeah, we'd all sit down. We probably played, did you play with us when we played with Good Old War at the Marquee? I think, I think yeah. you were think in the did. band by then. Were, you, you were, too? Yeah, so. But that was before we had a drummer. Was it? This was a, we had to play with him twice. Anyway, but I know it was one of the times we sat down because I was still doing the. I'd hit uh, a bass drum and I had like a tambourine. I remember when we were still when we were still sitting down. That's when we got asked to not come back to the. Oh, uh, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, which um, which I used to. Yeah. That was I was the booking guy. Back we'll talk then. about that that's, why we got kicked that's out a of good the story. Booker for a while. But I remember one of the guys but, after we played from Good Old War came up and said like. This is a cool. I like you guys because of the way you're set up. It's like an it's an interesting thing to look at. He may have said like it's kind of like kind of a niche thing to do. So we were like really when that first happened, we were like, oh, this is what we do. We don't stand up. We're not a band. We're this kind of weird little collective of drunk idiots. So then yeah, when all of a sudden we had a drummer, it was really weird. So it's almost a bummer because then it was just I, d I don't want to stand up now. <laughs> you took my chair away and I don't like it. Totally. <laughs> Yeah, that was before me. I forgot. I played with Good Old War by myself one time. Yeah, and then I think um, another big change was Scooter joining. We, we had um, uh, Corey Chandler, Camden's older brother, was original lead guitarist, and, and Corey was great and everything, but some about when, when Scooter joined um, and just, just this kind of, I don't know, in-your-face sort of outlaw <laughs> guitar, you know, kind of like... I mean, I want Cheesify, but almost kind of like ZZ Top or something like that, where you know the riffs were always in your face, and and when we when we'd be in the studio, like we always wanted Scooter's guitar to be way up, like it just always blew us away. Yeah. So Scooter, how did you become a part of this uh, this machine? Because you weren't on. Were you on the first record? I can't remember now. Yes. Uh, Coincidentally, I'm a drunk. I can't remember. Um, these guys had a show. I was gonna go see them. Play and uh, I got a text message. I didn't go down, but uh, but I got a message at what midnight asking to join the band because Corey blew it. and got hammered and couldn't yeah. play, so they played without him. And so he, we and he quit. So well, it's funny because like yeah, Corey, we love him to death, but he quit the band kind of in a drunken stupor, not really remembering it, and we didn't really give him enough time <laughs> to like sober up. Yeah, so we had texted Scooter that night, and he like. Scooter had seen us a couple times and said we were like his favorite band in town. So we just always loved Scooter. I mean, we all grew up, not grew up, but we all like, you know, used to listen to Love Me Destroyer and Pinhead Circus and had known about Scooter's playing for a while and just how much of a rad dude he was. So I think, I don't know, we had always kind of envisioned him as like if we ever needed another member, it'd be Scooter. So, you know, even though we love Corey, as soon as that happened, we just like 
said, Scooter, do you want to be in the band? And then, like, Corey tried to apologize the next day, and we had kind of said, like, well, dude, we kind of already got a new guy, and sorry. It was a so, little awkward. Corey, if you're listening to this, we apologize for that because Still we love, love you very Corey. much. Corey took very well and was actually very supportive of Scooter being in the band. They're, they're really, surprisingly, there was no animosity, and there never has <laughs> yeah. been from that. Because there was one time when we were practicing, and Corey had to come over and pick up some stuff. We were practicing with Scooter for the first time, and he didn't remember know how to do a part. And right then, Corey came down the stairs, and we all kind of froze. And he's like, oh, I'll show you how to play that, man. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool, actually. So, yeah, sorry, and thanks, Corey. We love you. There we go. So this, sorry. <laughs> Just, I found a video of Coins on YouTube, which is a song that Corey actually wrote uh, a long time ago that... That uh, never got recorded at all, but it's on it's on the YouTube's. Yeah. And it's, it's, like it's weird. Yeah, it's weird. All right, so um, I mean, it's 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 weird why we're all here today talking. Uh, what what else do you guys want to talk about about this band? What do you guys want this band to be remembered for, other than you know, as you say, a bunch of drunks? But you guys are more than just a bunch of drunks, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to, to I'm trying extent. to get posy in here. Let's get positive. You know, one thing one thing I remember about this band was um, our our fan base here in Denver, and we had some tours that were went surprisingly well, where people were very receptive and very supportive. But I think our local fans, what the big thing for me with this band was, uh, all the people at the show weren't friends of members of the band. Which people think Denver has this great music scene. I think it has great bands. But the people at the shows all typically know people in the band, and we started seeing more and more. It was people that we didn't know, we'd never met, and they they found us online or something somehow, or a friend gave them our albums, and um, it was it was really cool. We had a really supportive fan base that it wasn't just like they liked us. So many of our fans, we were their favorite band. At least it seemed like that. Yeah, it was the first band I've ever been in. Like you always see those people at the show that aren't there for the show and look like they don't belong there. That We were the first band that those people would actually come up and check it out and not run out the door, you know? It really grabbed a wide wide array of people, and it was pretty interesting because I'd have people come up to me all the time going, oh, you guys must listen to a lot of Grateful Dead, and I'm like, I don't think any one of us have ever even <laughs> listened to the Grateful Dead. So I actually went back and listened to the Grateful Dead. I was like, okay, I kind of see what they're saying, but not really. But if we could attract that type of people... With that kind of music, it was pretty impressive, I thought. I think, I think we still, because we, you know, we, we, we played songs that we really cared about that were still like steeped in the punk rock realm, but we'd add all these instruments that maybe none of us were like super familiar with. So I think you know, we got lumped into a lot of different genres that none of us knew a lot about because we were just a punk rock band, but people would always say we were like Irish punk or we were... I mean, we knew what we were doing as far as Americana or folk or anything like that. But, yeah, there was a lot of weird comparisons. Someone once told me we were a combination of Strung Out mixed with Flogging Molly mixed with Blink-182. And I was like, <laughs> you just named three punk bands. <laughs> we're not any of those. <laughs> but I guess in a way we were kind of, kind of all of those. Um, I, I think um, the, the fact that, that uh, we were kind of like cross-genre somewhat and kind of um, something that it was like the friendliest music. But it was easy for people who listen to different types of music to like. Someone who doesn't like punk at all, like maybe would have liked us, or someone who doesn't really like folk or Americana, they would like us. 
And I think that gave us a lot of opportunities. There were so many great bands that would come through Denver that we would be, well, at least it seemed to us, one of the first that the promoters would call to get on the yeah. bill. So we really lucked out and got to play with a lot of our heroes and a lot yeah. of great bands. And, and everybody. You guys played with Chuck Reagan, um, Less Than Jake. You guys fucking opened for Less Than Jake. Yeah. William Elliott Whitmore was, be yeah. before even joining this band, uh, William Elliott Whitmore was... Trampled by Turtles. Trampled by Turtles. That was weird. But William Elliott Whitmore was my favorite solo artist by far. And, you know, we got, we got on that show where, you know, mo most bands don't get to jump on all these great shows unless they're like excellent musicians or something which only a couple of us are <laughs> a couple of them are I should say. Yeah, right <laughs> i would though i think you know i see all over youtube now all these kids with crass patches like playing banjo i like to think we had a little bit to do with that <laughs> kind of makes me smile a little bit yeah dan you're quiet down there you got anything to say not really why not well if we're going in the history of the band as far as joining new members and stuff too so Dan came in at a time when uh, Camden um, right after Corey left the band Camden kind of decided to up and move to Seattle because Corey had moved Corey had moved Corey moved to Seattle first like oh yeah after Corey quit we were still yeah. seeing him around but he moved and then Camden moved and we had to play Scooter's Wedding with no drummer, which was the worst <laughs> oh, God. show ever. So bad. Well, and the thing about Camden was um, he was our first drummer. And we and Camden only been playing drums for two years. And I think he was 19 or 20 when he joined the band. Um, and it didn't seem like, like the drums in our songs weren't that complicated. You know, mostly fairly simple shuffles. Um, Camden was always funny because he was so inexperienced and in playing live shows and would just ask us silly questions. We'd have to sneak him into shows sometimes, you know, since he wasn't 21. Super, but super nervous about that shit, like getting getting caught for Yeah, he'd get like, really nervous about Do we know, like, the owners the of this bar, you're fine? Like, but when Camden left is when we realized how great of a drummer we wa he was, and we started trying out all these drummers. Um, Forrest would fill in, and Forrest is an amazing drummer, <laughs> Forrest of the Gamuts. But everything would get sped up, and sometimes we'd play a song at, like, double speed. But we, we tried out guys who were, like, playing hip-hop beats and stuff. There was that one guy who, your, your buddy. Yeah, he's like, I, I play the drums. And well, he said, how do, you want, how do you want me to play the songs? And we said, just like, you know, how they, how they are. And he goes, and even yeah, he was like, "What about this?" It was like this weird hip hop beat, and we kind of said, "Well, dude, I don't, I don't know if you get exactly what we're doing." But anyway, then yeah, Dan was playing in No High Fives to Bullshit, and since I'm a drummer too, like I had seen him play and knew that he was like a really good drummer. And Mike was working with him at the Cheesesteak Connection at the time. I was working with Eric and Mikey, and uh, yeah, that came up. Um, you gotta use my last name, bro. I'm sorry. <laughs> they all were looking for a drummer, and uh, I'd seen you guys play a couple of times, and uh, yeah, I was stoked on it. Um, I remember Mikey asking me if I could play a shuffle beat, and I said, well, yeah, of course I could play a shuffle beat, and then found out that that was not something I was able to play, and it was like, really hard. For the first like two or three shows, I had it backwards. You guys either didn't notice or didn't say anything about it. <laughs> no, I mean, I remember it was the first time, because we did try out, like, not just the hip-hop dude, like, some guys who were, who were good and just couldn't quite nail it, and then Dan coming in. Um, I was always worried that, like, well, I remember when we were talking about Dan, because no, no High Fives to Bullshit was, like, a pretty punk band, and, and so was Clusterfucks. Dan was in, like, a thrash, what were they, like, a crust punk band, thrash punk, pop punk? 
trash. So yeah. So I don't even get the terms right, but Dan's always real. And I was like, Dan's not gonna want to be in this band. Like he's super punk. We're a bunch of. I mean, I guess we think we're punks too, but turns out he was really into it. And then here he is. Here we are. Yeah. So was it hard to find an, uh, another drummer? You being a drummer and all. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm picky. I, I tend to not. I, I'm not like a super critical guitar player when I, when, I mean, when it comes to like teaching people drum parts or anything. Like I don't think I ever told you what to play, and I never told Camden what to play. But when you, yeah, he asked me to, and I just think when you find someone who knows what they're doing, it's not really, well, there really important. There wasn't like a, these guys just aren't quite good enough, and were looking for excellence. It was they just couldn't do it. It just didn't work at all, and we were kind of like panicky like I think drummers are probably the hardest thing to find in this town and maybe most towns but even decent drummers like they weren't even close to being able to play the songs yeah again and that was a testament to Camden he was really tasteful um, yeah he was really good and he was a, you know he was a young kid and I remember like speaking of like some of the stuff he didn't get like I, someone spilled like a beer on his snare drum once like, no big deal. And he, I remember him looking at me and running over in a panic and be like, dude, someone just spilled beer in my drums. And I said, oh, that sucks. And he goes, is it going to ruin him? <laughs> I remember Camden asking us what he should have in his monitors all the time, like yeah. for sound check. And you'd like, look around with this look. Like, is that good? Is that enough kick? And you'd be like, dude, it's, it's whatever you want, yeah, man. We're not, we're not using that one. That's, that's all you, man. Yeah, and he never, we recorded, so we recorded Get Busy Dying with him. And he never listened to it. He never told me once because I said, "Like, what do you think of, what do you think of the drums on it?" And he went, oh, "I haven't listened to it." And then never did. Later, yeah. yeah. So he, he, you know, never actually heard the one record he made with us. But it sounded good to me. One one funny memory I have about Camden is when we did play that show with Trampled by Turtles, which um, was a cool experience. We did it. We we got set up with them somehow, and it was it was through their booking agent. So we got taken care of pretty well. But um, I remember it was a terrible show because Scooter was, was about to have a baby and so he couldn't make it. But I, I remember we were driving up and, and we were in cars. And it was in Steamboat. Steamboat, yes. And me and Andy were in the car with Camden and we're driving up and he's talking about how he finally found a job. And we're like, oh, cool, that's great. Like, when do you start? And he's like, oh, I'm supposed to start tomorrow morning, but we're not going back tomorrow morning. Like, he's like, you know, let's party. Like, hey, probably not a good decision, but glad to have you with us. <laughs> Oh, man. Um, so I, I didn't know Camden. I don't remember Camden, at least. I probably met him at the Triple Nickel yeah. when he was underage. I didn't know he was yeah, underage. Yeah, we probably snuck him into your bar underage. Son yeah. of a bitch. Um, he probably got drunk and smashed glasses like the rest of us. <laughs> you told me you weren't the one smashing glasses. I didn't glasses. do that. I didn't smash any glasses. That was... <laughs> no, no, the big kicker was... Uh, it, well, it was Tin Horn Prayer, um, Anchor Down... Um, shit, I can't remember who else played that show. There were like two other bands on that tour. The band from Portland? Was it In the Red? In the Red was on that show, weren't they? Yeah. And then there was another, like, it was the buddy band of Anchor Down. Um, shit, I still wear their t-shirt all the time. Bastards of Young. Yeah. Bastards of Young. I think so. And then, like, everybody was outside on the patio smashing glasses. But the big kicker was was that Mikey got in a fight with JJ Nobody. <laughs> Like, the owner, I, I think, right? Yeah, the owner. I think it was more that Mikey got pushed down by JJ. Nobody. Yeah, no. 
I, it's and who knows if the actual image of my head is real or drunken memory, but I remember like Mikey having a beer and getting kicked out, and then like standing right outside the front door, drinking the beer defiantly in front of JJ, the owner. JJ going like, "Fuck you, man! Fuck you! Fuck you!" How it started was it started pretty innocently. This was before Scooter was in the band, and Camden was still playing drums, and Corey was playing guitar, and Corey. We were all really drunk. I don't even know who drove home, drove home that night, but I guess we found someone too. But is that one? I was when we were running through the bar. You were on my shoulders, and we yeah, kept just doing right. laps. Oh yeah, yeah. But so Corey walked up to the bartender and said, "He got it. He had a beer glass. And he said, hey, can I smash this?'" And the bartender, oh, because someone had knocked over a glass earlier in the night, and Corey wanted to keep smashing him. And the bartender thought he said, "Like, can I have this?" For whatever reason, like, like go fill up with water or something. So he says, can I smash this? And the bartender says, yes. So right there, Corey just walks outside and smashes it on the ground. And oh then, like, God. I remember talking to maybe Jan, my girlfriend, and then hearing just destruction happening all around me because everyone else just started grabbing glasses and smashing them left and right. So then, yeah, we all got kicked out. And then, yeah, Mikey was walking out with a beer, and JJ was just totally fed up with us. He wanted nothing to do with us. And he said, uh... He said, are you fucking serious, man? You're going to walk outside with that all? And then Mikey, like, yeah, took a big drink in front of him and then, like, handed it to JJ. And JJ said, I'm going to kick your fucking ass. And Mikey said, I'd like to see you try. He called him an old man, too. I I definitely know that happened. And JJ, like, face shoves him down (laughs) onto the ground, like, just very easily. I'm actually pretty sure JJ kicked him. They might have kicked him. <laughs> but, you know, like, whatever. Somehow, like, what, three or four years later, they asked us back to play a show. Yeah. Well, the only members that were allowed there were me and Scooter for, like, three years. <laughs> Just because we're likable and you guys aren't, apparently. And the thing is, is you guys could have came back at any time, and JJ probably would have had no recollection. But yeah. we followed, kind of followed the rules back then. But I think, I don't know. I try to, like, think about... I think we got to a point, I remember someone telling me this later on before we kind of took that big break that it was like, you guys are amazing, you guys play really good music, and it, you never know when you're going to self-destruct at any moment. But like, <laughs> I don't know a lot of instances where like, I mean, there was a couple of people getting stormed off the stage, you would throw beer cans at Scooter all the time, but we never like got in a giant fist fight. I guess it meant, I guess there was times when we probably shouldn't have been a in public or B playing music <laughs> like that drug. Well, that's, I remember uh, Jim from Three Kings like I feel like he would come up to me and Mikey specifically like hey you guys are on last <laughs> fucking be easy like I, I'm you know, I'm only putting one 30 pack in the green room or some shit like oh yeah Jim Norris used to get on us quite a bit uh, Jim is, is a great guy and obviously anyone who knows Denver music scene knows how big of a part he is but Every, every show that we would play at one of Jim Norris's venues, if he was there, he would kind of give give us individually like these little speeches yeah. ahead of time, yeah. like kind of take it easy. But I, I think uh, I, I just thought of this, so I got to spit it out. But um, that first tour we did on that West Coast, I always remember um, we it was a great tour. We, uh, Bear Trap PR like set up the tour for us, and it was it was amazing. Yeah, we had like um, a booking agent, which was weird. Yeah. yeah, it was really weird. They didn't charge us like crap. They they were part of. Um, our first album came out on Bermuda Mohawk Records, which uh, they're more of just like a DIY helping out bands, not much of a budget, but they did more for us than maybe um, another much bigger label um, that we were on later that did <laughs> nothing. But we were in uh, Hillcrest in San Diego, which nowadays is like a very yuppie area. And we played a show, and um, yeah, back then it definitely was. And part of the bar was a venue 
Um, the rest was kind of like a yuppie, kind, kind of, kind of a not, not even really a hipster bar, just kind of like rich yuppie bar. And we we played first, and our set was done. And then the bar, it must have been like a Monday or Tuesday night, was full of people like in like collared shirts, and everyone looked nice. And they had a photo booth right there in the bar. <laughs> and I just remember all six of us, all of our fat asses with our shirts off, trying to cram into the photo booth. While these like and Jimmy as well. Looking at us, wondering what the hell is going on. Yeah, we didn't try. We we succeeded. We I mean, we did I it. Does any? Those are. Those photos have to be long gone. Or I don't even know if we got them from the fucking. I don't think thing. we put any money in the thing. Why <laughs> <laughs> no, I think about I it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. As I remember, it wasn't always. It, you know, granted there was some, a couple experiences. Two <laughs> members at this table have punched each other in the face. At least one of them punched the other one. <laughs> but like, there wasn't like a ton of, bad, drama for the most part. There was just a lot of like kind of dumb. Dumb antics. Dude, you gotta tell about Eric, Eric getting arrested in Wyoming and then writing Steve's name in blood on the pound Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, Eric. Yeah. You don't have to. That's fine. Um, I had recently <laughs> broken up with a girl and I was, uh, I was drinking about it and we were driving up to. Casper. And we were driving up to Casper to play a show with the Dango Boys. And the Wyos? Yes, the Wyos. And I'm just pounding whiskey the whole way up. Of course. And, uh, That's right. And I don't... Ethan's going to have to fill me in on some of it. All right. <laughs> but, uh... So, well, well, what I remember, I mean, I might have been slightly tossed myself, but... <laughs> well, one thing I got to throw out real quick before I forget. Uh, going to Wyoming is one of the best experiences um that was our second time there i mean scooters i, I was like, there fine the the first the show first time yeah. <laughs> the first time and, we're up there scooters i did fine. like a hero there but they had like put us up in a suite <laughs> with like a hot tub in the room like it was just yeah, awesome. that was it's awesome. like all of a sudden you felt like you were some kind of rock star but eric's trashed at like 10 in the morning and just pissing everyone off uh me and him end up getting in a fight and the promoter calls the cops the cops come and get him and someone had told me that mike called the cops on me. I, I thought it was the promoter, the, uh, the owner of Galway, So I think it was more of the promoter ran it by Mike, and Mike was like, yeah, that, that, Probably that seems... Yeah. <laughs> so Eric had been bleeding, and out in the alley he wrote... <laughs> for, Steve, he Steve is my... Where he considered Steve to be his drunk yeah. alter ego, and he wrote Steve and blood on the wall or something, and the <laughs> cops are like... <laughs> it's really funny. As drunk as he was and incoherent and just gotten beat up as he was, the cops <laughs> like, did you do this? He's like, no, man, that says Steve. My name's Eric. Why would I write Steve? <laughs> I also had the wherewithal to, like... For whatever reason I snapped to it. I remember when I got arrested, I was like, so wait, what am I what am I being arrested for? Like you have to tell me what I'm being arrested for. And they're like, public intoxication. Well let's go. <laughs> <laughs> and then the cops stole all his money. Then they stole like two hundred and fifty dollars from me when I was in jail. But we uh and they we, tried to give me a court date. We put your uh, accordion on stage and set a beer by it <laughs> for at least Mario. a couple of songs. I think I drank drank it about halfway through the set. <laughs> That's fair. But we were trying to, you know, have a little shrine to Yeah. Didn't we record? Yeah, we did play really well. Good. Uh, you would have been proud of us if yeah. you were, were awake. And then I got I got I got suspended for a show because of that. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I had that weird that. stalker lady. I forgot about that. It that was, was hilarious. I, I, you guys played Three Kings without me because I got in trouble. <laughs> suspended. I like that. I like that. 
So, so I take it when, when <coughs> you know, old man Winter here, Scooter, joined the band, he didn't calm any of you guys down and teach you guys any uh, old man ropes? I'm trying to call you old, Fuck Scooter. No. I, I say matter quite of fact. the opposite. In fact, I don't. I don't know how um, as as much as friendly as Scooter's wife is to us all, and how much we love her. I don't know how enthused she was about Scooter Scooter joining <laughs> yeah. that band. In fact, um, so many people like knew Mikey, knew my, how much he partied, and and Eric kind of had didn't have the same kind of reputation, but he partied as much. Remember, so many people talking about. Oh, you guys are going on tour with my... It's going to be a disaster. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be trashed all the time. And we were a little bit worried about it. And then when we went on that first tour, it was more of uh, me and Andy and everyone else who were just smashed the whole time. And <laughs> Mike would just keep it together so well all the time. And we always used to marvel. And Mikey would be just totally drunk and passed out before a show. He did like and to you fall you couldn't asleep. even like, wake him up. And then five minutes before we go on stage, he would just jump up and go up there and kill it. That was actually my wife liked me being in the, in Tinhorn a lot more than she likes me being in Old Hickory. That's got to be Rusty's fault. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Blame it all on Rusty Bird. Uh, well, I was hoping that would take up more time another until Andy. Um, sorry, another thing uh, that happened on that first tour, like. And it was Ethan. You got sick. Did Dan? Did you get sick? Dan was sick like the whole time. Yeah. yeah. Dan was up in the crow's nest in the RV. We uh, we didn't have a. Our van was kind of torn up at the time and wasn't even like registered. We didn't have a trailer, so we were looking at renting vans. And Andy like looked on Craigslist and we found this mom and pop place that did RVs. So we ended up with like this 36 foot motorhome that was the shit. It was awesome. It was it was great it was traveling in comfort for sure Our, um, the thing about that tour also is like a couple people were sick or whatever and like i was surprised at my own behavior on that tour for how much i didn't fuck up except for portland but that's a different thing um <laughs> but uh, our our quote-unquote tour manager was the real was the real <laughs> fucking nightmare on that one Oh yeah, there was a there was a point in Seattle where uh, we were out on yeah he just graduated law school and he had uh, met some girl that he had some fallen out with. It was his one true his, love, his unicorn, his unicorn. <laughs> and uh, so he was in prime form. And this cop rolled up and saw us on the sidewalk outside of the of the RV. It was like downtown Seattle. Downtown, too. right by the Space Needle. We were yeah. like two blocks away, and uh, so he was just kind of seeing what was up and. And Jimmy was just annihilated. We were all like, shut the fuck up, Jimmy. Shut the fuck up, Jimmy. And he kept trying to tell him. He's like, it's cool. I'm a lawyer. <laughs> Coolest cop but, probably ever. Yeah. yeah, the best was he's like, so what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we're in a band. He's like, what are you guys, a ska band? <laughs> and then Jimmy proceeded to give him this awkward handshake for about half an hour while he tried to give him a download card of our music, which I thought was going to get us all shot. Uh, amazingly enough, it didn't, though. Yeah. All right. Andy brought us back a round of beers. What, what are we drinking now? Uh, Goza, I think. Goza? It had the lowest alcohol in it. And you got us the lowest <laughs> alcohol beer? Do you know who you're talking to? I know, but sometimes we were talking about when you're at these microbreweries, you got it. You can't be like, oh, that beer is delicious. Oh, it's 40, 45% alcohol. Oh, yeah, I already told that story, didn't yeah. I? Yeah. 
Um, speaking of stories, I, you know, I didn't know Cam very well. You guys just talked a, a little bit about him. We can't not talk about Mikey. Sure. I was curious about, you know, he's been around for years. Most of you guys have been around for years, some form or fashion. Um, how did you guys first encounter the man, the me- myth, the beast that was Mikey Herrera? It's funny. It's like I remember the very first time I ever met him was at Rock Island after a Blackout Pack show. And, like, I forget who it opened for him, but... Uh, was this giant fight like erupted on the street outside of Rock Island and I remember it was mainly BJ trying to fight some security guard but everyone was like kind of like shoving each other and shit's going crazy and I remember Mike like breaking it up with everything but I remember really liking the show and kind of still looking at him and be like I want to talk to that guy as soon as this whole thing dies down <laughs> and then like everyone kind of got separated and Mike kind of looked around and he was like he looked over at me and went what the fuck was that? And I said, I don't know, man. Good show. And he went, well, thank you, sir. As Mikey used to, like, you guys picture him saying that. Um, and then I just kind of started seeing him at shows. And we, we became closer when I uh, was in Only Thunder and he was in um, Sleeper Horse. Because that was like, you know, brother-sister band. They were the sisters. We were the brothers. <laughs> um, and we played together a lot. And that's kind of how we started wanting to play music together is just... Uh, yeah, it's being around each other a lot, liking each other's bands, and yeah, um, from there, yeah, we—I mean, we got really close because of how you know deep we I got met, in a Tin Horn Prayer. But yeah, Eric knew him kind of before. Yeah, we I, lived with I him. met him in like 2007, maybe. Uh, we had a mutual friend um, that worked with him when he worked at Virgin Records when that was still a thing here, and uh, she's like, "Yeah, Mary Jane." She's like, "You have to meet Mike." Uh, you have to meet my friend Mikey. You guys drink the same. And I ended up hanging out with him and her at Three Kings at a show. And I ended up pushing him back to her apartment in a shopping cart. <laughs> and I fucking tipped the shopping cart. And neither one of us spilled our beers that we were, you know, we had open containers. So what? Yeah, and it, it was just like fast friends from not spilling our drinks, I guess. Well, I think one thing about meeting Mikey is, um, and and why he had so many friends, um, is, uh, you know, Mikey was such a huge part of the music scene here, but Mikey was not a a scenester in any way. Like, Mikey saw people, and Mikey made friends with everybody, no matter how they dressed or whatever. Not not that all the rest of us are so judgmental or or anything, but I remember feeling like I was good friends with Mike after only hanging out with him a couple times oh, yeah. and, and a lot of times just at shows, which we all have friends that, um, you know, you can go to a big show and see 40 people that you've been going to shows with for the last 10 years and it's big hugs when you see them and stuff, but that's about it. With Mikey, it was um, like you really felt like he knew you and accepted you and that you were you were actually good friends with Mikey. Yeah, I... Uh I, we had played with One Dying Wish, and I kind of knew who he was, but never really hung out with him. And uh, it was back when Fogel had the studio at the Cat. Do you remember? Anybody remember that? I used to live uh, up the street a couple blocks in an apartment in Five Points, and uh, I came back from tour to not having a girlfriend or a place to stay, and I used to just go over and get drunk and hang out in the parking lot of the Cat <laughs> and sleep, sleep back there. <laughs> drive by that, get drunk, and drive by the house and be a creeper, but uh, <laughs> yell shit at him. But uh, one night I was back there hanging out, and uh, Blackout Pact was recording, and I went in and just started hanging out with them. Next thing I know, we were drinking 
straight vodka and I was singing on their demo. <laughs> and then just, I don't know, after that it just kind of seemed like we were friends, you know. And then you guys, uh, you played with the Blackout Pack lots of times, lots and lots of times oh, yeah. with uh, all your different bands. Oh, yeah, yeah. We, Love Me Destroy, that's what I was trying to think of. Yeah. Yeah, even uh, uh, Old Hickory played uh, the last Blackout Pack show. Yeah. That was pretty fun. Incarnation. Yeah, whatever. whatever that, that it was, was at that point. Yeah. Bastardization. World Champion. Remember that old, this old metal band called World Champion, which is kind of the worst band I've ever... Yeah, you won't find anything. You were? Yeah. But we played with the Blackout Pack tonight. I remember he's probably just being nice, but Mikey said, like, oh, my God, that was amazing. I'm kind of, like, embarrassed to play after you guys. And I remember Sam walking up and going, you guys have nice equipment. <laughs> <laughs> But I remember being really excited about it, and I remember like we sang karaoke with them afterwards, and I was like, "Sing karaoke, blackout pack, really best night of my life." <laughs> what, what, one thing. I had a had a lot of that, like coming from Grand Junction and playing little bands out there, where you're kind of like big fish in a little pond. But um, we did a lot of like booking stuff out there, and we'd have these guys from Denver come out. You know, like Qualm was a big one. Um, and then Love Me Destroyer, of course, and, and Scooter. I mean, we just thought, like, we worshipped that guy. And I remember Annie, Annie moved to Denver a couple years or a year before I did, but I remember coming and, and seeing a show and, like, seeing Scooter James there and be like, holy shit, that's Scooter James. And talking to him, be like, hey, you remember me? I booked a show. I played with you my first show, you know, 10 years ago. And, and him just being, like, the nicest dude. And I remember, like, calling friends the next day, like, you won't believe it, man. Like, I met Scooter James. He's just like totally nice you know just a great dude which which uh i've come to realize now that anytime people meet someone that uh they think is famous um it's never like it's never like yeah he was cool i don't know i hung out with him for like an hour so i couldn't tell you it's always like he's actually a really nice guy or that guy's a total fucking dick you know what are the other scooter yelled at me because i would always see him and harass him because i was Way drunker back then than I am now. He thought I was crazy. And I remember you. I liked you, but I thought you were crazy. I was kind of crazy back then. Well, that's what he. I remember you told me once. You're like, you ended up being like one of the most even keeled dudes I know. But back then, you were just insane, and I was kind of afraid of you. And I was like, oh, that's a bummer to hear. I can't picture you like that. Me neither. Yeah. It was like you know I don't know I was like 22 or something like that you know so. Whatever, I got over it. Was this before or after you threw a um, Can you tell that story of the cop, the arresting story? Well. No, maybe. <laughs> sure, I mean, that was, that was around the time when it's a popular I got into some trouble with the law and uh, wrote some songs about it. Well, then you um, chilled out. I chilled out. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah, there's a lot of songs on. What's weird is, like, there's not a lot of songs on uh, Get Busy Dying About It. Allegedly. Use the word allegedly a lot when you talk about a crime. Allegedly. <laughs> there was more songs on, on Grapple the Rails about it. And that was, you know, four years, five years, six years later. I just like, it, yeah, it, it was, without getting into specifics, it was definitely like a lot. It, it changed the way I, I went out. It changed the way I acted a lot. And it changed the way I, I, I uh, wrote about things around that time. And. Um, so I wrote a song called Fire in the Jailhouse that was on our second record. Allegedly. Allegedly wrote a song. <laughs> it was allegedly and on the record. I, I name-checked a couple people who have been like victims of police brutality because 
even though whatever I did was a little bit trumped up, I definitely was doing some bad stuff, but I, you know, and was a mild victim of brutality, but know that it happened way worse to other people. But one of the guys was named Marvin Booker, who was this older street preacher guy who got murdered in jail by these cops. He was like 60, 70 years old. And when I, I always kind of wanted to know if his parent or his family would like hear that song. And then just last year, they, he got a settlement. So I wrote the Rocky Mountain News reporter who wrote the story about the settlement and said, like, I have this song about him. And I didn't hear back for like a month. And then his lawyers, Marvin Booker's like civil lawyers wrote me and said, he heard, or his family's heard the song and Emily Rice's family has heard the song because we represent her too. And they just are like, so they're, they're so gracious and, and, and you know, appreciative that you did that. So that song and that moment and looking back on everything, I guess, to get a little bit serious was, you know, I think we always claimed to be this, this crazy party band. Um, but I think, you know, there were some real issues buried in those lyrics. And that one moment made me kind of have this epiphany that, you know, th this music was important to a lot of people, not just the people who were drunk up front singing along. Like, I think we, we did some good in the great scheme of things. And that's kind of, I guess, to go back to the question, like, what will you remember? I think it was an important, I think we were important to a lot of different people. And yeah, that means a lot. Well, yeah, I, I feel like it, it was party music, but it was, it was about struggle and pain and not even, not necessarily literally the lyrics, but just some about the songs. And I think so many of the people who identified with our music just like so many people do, they feel the same type of pain and frustration with, with life in general, and I think they could identify with it. And I think Andy, Scooter, and Mike did, did a really good job of connecting with people, with their lyrics, and with, with our songs that, that people could identify with us. You guys wrote lyrics too, though. You and Eric both did. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was a, yeah, it was a very collaborative thing. We never really had to talk about what page we were on when we wrote lyrics, but I think it was the understanding of, like, this makes sense for this. So Dan wrote a couple songs that um, were never released that, I mean, they were <laughs> gems. Well, he covered the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air theme Wait, song. Wait, that's Tin Horn Prayer was recorded. Oh, yeah. yeah. Tin Horn Prayer, can you sing that real quick? I can't. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember it, uh, it had all of our names in it. I tried to put that on... The, the two song EP I wanted that to be the bonus track but since we recorded on a cell phone it was like a dot AMR <laughs> it would be a shitty bonus but it was like a dot AMR file and I couldn't figure out how to transfer it to a wave or an MP3 you still have that? oh yeah I sent it to you guys I emailed it to you I said it said look what I found you know how we are with email Andy I'll email it to you and if you can figure out a way to put it on this episode that would be yeah great. yeah yeah I can figure it out I'll hold it Family guy like shit shoved in my nostrils. <laughs> um, Dan hasn't talked a whole lot, so I think Dan should tell his best or funniest tin horn story. Yeah, come on, Dan. What about I'll jog your memory when Ethan drank the pee and me and you decided <laughs> we sat, we put a bottle of booze on the table and said, "That's this just happened. We're gonna get as drunk as we can." We just failed. On the whole we got really drunk and then I don't know. that information back from you for a minute because it seemed like you were having a really good time and like you didn't notice that you just drank pee so I kind of like hit the bottle you want to tell that like, story uh Mike you want me to tell it <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. so we we did one of these 
I don't know. We did a few trips to Arizona for some reason. Well, we were kind of helping out this festival that was brand new, or we thought we were. It was way out west fest. Because the year before, we just drove 18 hours to Tucson, so we figured we'd book a tour around it the next year. Yes, yes. So we're there, and we have this little, this little RV, and... Um, um, you know, which RVs have bathrooms in them. So um, anyone who's toured with the band knows there are often bottles and cans full of urine. Um, but if you have a bathroom in the vehicle, you don't have to do that. You can pee in a toilet. But uh, it was after we played, me and Andy were back in the RV. And um, I think I mentioned how I was so thirsty. And I grabbed an Aquafina bottle and, uh, and I just chugged it. Drags a cigarette? Oh, that's a good idea. We'll smoke after this story, maybe. And um, so I'm sitting there talking to Dan, and I just pound like one of those big one liter bottles of Aquafina. I pound like half of it, and I'm like, man, that tasted kind of weird. That, that was just strange. And I'm looking at it, and then how did I figure out that it was piss? I said something about it. You came, so it was me and you in there. The fucked up thing is that Mikey had dumped good water out of this bottle <laughs> to pee in it. Instead of finding A, an empty one, or B, like using the bathroom, he had dumped out good, usable water to pee <laughs> in the bottle. In the so that's why you it thought it was still full of water. You didn't even look at it. And so you chugged it, and then I noticed it, but you didn't quite get it. So I sort of like hit it and tried to like pull out another one just in hopes that. Because I knew what would happen. I knew. <laughs> well, I had walked. I came in and I picked up my bottle of water and said, God fucking David, why are you just fucking pissed in this? And then you just, this look of like horror came over your face and you went, are you fucking serious? I just drank fucking half of that. And then Dan was trying to say like, no, 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 it was a different one. You took a different one. And then you... <laughs> yeah, you were out for blood. You oh, yeah, I was, I was upset. Which, it's funny, it doesn't, you'd, you'd think you'd know right away. Like it just reeks like a urinal or something. But... It didn't taste that bad. And now that Mikey's gone, I am so glad that I drank his urine so I can always have a little bit of him, you know? But I remember I took off, and so we're in Tucson, like right on the Mexico border, and I'm like sitting under this tree all pouting, you know, and like smoking cigarettes, and his train goes by, and also this dude like comes jumping over this fence and like slides under the tree that I'm in, and he's sitting there, and, and I'm like, whoa, whoa, what's going on? And he's like, la policia, la policia. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not with the police. I'm a drunk dude under a tree. And uh, and so we get to talking, and, and he's like, um, yeah, I just came from Mexico. And I'm like, oh, yeah, how long you been here? And he's like, I don't know, man. Like. Two minutes, like I just got here. So I got to experience someone jump the border, which is kind of cool. And then I remember Mikey calling me and just being like, dude, why, why are you so upset? I mean, that's touring, that's being on the road. And it's like, dude, just because you've drank everyone you know's piss, because you tour with dudes who just like don't shower for three months and shit and um, piss their own pants and piss in bottles, doesn't mean it's cool that I drink your urine. And I was irate. I was so fucking pissed that... I think, I don't remember what it was, I, I basically quit the band, but it was something like we had an album come out or something, and I was like, after that, I'm done, I'm totally done. It was after, so we got, we did a couple more shows, I remember we played in Vegas, and you said, this is my last out-of-town show, I'm ever going to play with you guys. And we were like, oh, okay, dude. And you weren't even there, because we had to get Wade, Wade from the Black Wade, Dots to fill yeah, in, like, learn the songs in two days, because, for whatever reason, so you missed all this work. crap. And we have work. Nah, work, schmirk, we're um, about to make it, bro. <laughs> Matty Clark also drank my career as urine, so there is that. We're blood urine brothers. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, we had, so yeah, I mean, so that was kind of the last 
ironically, those were the last out-of-town shows any of us would play with Tin Horn Prayer because we got back and uh, a lot of stuff happened <laughs> that made it pretty impossible to play shows. Um, and then we played, we played our, I mean, the, the most bittersweet thing about Tin Horn, so we, we, we had an album. Hey, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pause you real quick. Okay. Eric wants to smoke a cigarette. Scooter looks like he's got a pee. Ethan might have to smoke a cigarette and pee. Okay. Should we hit pause real quick? Sure. Or do you want to tell this story while they go do this? Okay, let's hit pause real quick. Yeah. Yeah, so we're back from our smoke and beer pee yeah. breaks. Um, boy, okay, yeah, I just said it. Yeah, so around the time, the, the, the eventual demise of Tin Horn Prayer was, I mean, to be honest, <laughs> even drinking Mikey's pee, it was probably like one of the, the very last things that like we just, we had been kind of frustrated with each other for a while that was obviously a very silly thing but uh ethan said he didn't want to be in the band anymore um but we did have an album coming out we had we had recorded graph of the rails um still very very proud of it we had gotten signed to paper and plastic records which is Vinny from less than jake's record label and it seemed like a very important thing but we kind of knew in the back of our minds that like things were probably not going to progress past that album coming out which you know feel guilty about I guess in hindsight that we did put out this record on like a pretty reputable label and then not do a lot but there was a lot of like you know not just with Mikey but with like a lot of people there was we, we we're, our bad habits were kind of starting to get the better of us I guess um, so we came back and we booked a show at the Bluebird um, which was you know kind of at the time I remember thinking it was probably too big for us and thinking like ah, was, I don't know we just kind of wanted to do it there we'll see and then man like I don't know, that place holds 500, 600 people, and I think we had come, like, I don't know. We were, like, a handful uh, shy. 50 shy from yeah. selling it out. I remember Scott Campbell telling me that. And it was just crazy, and it was just this really bittersweet moment. We had this very triumphant moment, and then <coughs> kind of knowing, like I said, this nagging feeling of, like, what was going to happen. Um, and then, it, you know, we kind of took a break, and I wanted certain people to, like, get better, and that didn't happen. Um, and we never, we never broke up. I mean, it was weird that like our, our album release show for our second album, which is very important to us on this bigger label from one of our like ska, punk, whatever you want to call it, heroes. Um, and then we, you know, we didn't play together for like, like two years after that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Anyone else have any thoughts about what was going I'm, on during that time? I just want to add that, um, as far as us as a band with a second record, just while I'm thinking about it, um, I think it's hard to put out a second record that at very least matches if, if it's not better than your first record. And I think our second record was better than the first and everything was just a lot more cohesive and I think that's a hard thing for a band to do and that's one of the reasons I'm really really proud of that second record yeah and I think we all are and I think you know the, to never get to play out of town is you know since that came out we never we never toured on it we never did anything on it I mean based off the fact of how well we did out of town with with um, uh, Get Busy Dying and then to kind of you know have this travesty of just never getting to really put that and give it its proper due um, is a sad thing. Um, a lot of sad things have happened to this band, especially recently. Um, you know, and I think that's the most, that's the hardest pill to swallow, I think, is 
is knowing how I felt or how other people felt about it and just, yeah, knowing it didn't really get its fair shake in the long run. I think if we knew what was going to happen with, with our brothers from this band and, and everything that was going to take place, I think it would have been different. I mean, to some extent, we were sick of each other and, and it was more of, I, I mean, Mikey was the kind of guy, like, you were always sick of his shit and then you would see him and you couldn't be mad at him. As soon as you saw him, you were not mad at him anymore. But I, th I think one, one hard thing is looking back and being like, if, if we would have known that we only had a couple, two or three more years to, to do whatever we could, all of us in this band would have gone all out and, and done this band and nothing else. Yeah, I mean, and that was a thing too. So, you know, we didn't play together for a long time. And as soon as we got word that Camden had passed away, um, you know, it just the only thing that could possibly make sense was to play again for him. Um, so we definitely decided to do that. I had no hesitations about that at all, despite, you know, how long it had been since I'd really talked to Mike or anything like that. Um, and that, you know, was, was a horrible thing that happened to Camden. Um, and it, the only positive thing about it was that we got back together and played another show. Um, that was that was pretty that was another bittersweet thing is like you know we wouldn't have we all wouldn't have been in the same room together like that I don't think if Camden hadn't passed away I don't think because we'd always kind of mentioned playing again and like it's kind of in passing and then and then when Camden passed away we we're like well we fucking have to play and I don't think we would have otherwise and that's a really shitty way to think about it, maybe, but something sort of positive came out of it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, not, I mean, yeah. The only positive thing about that was that. Yeah. Um, and then I think we had all talked about, you know, it was good because, you know, I was friends with Mikey again, um, you know. And it and was like we'd never, it was one of those things where it's kind of like we never stopped. Yeah. It's like as soon as we all got back together and practiced, totally. like it was same stupid fucking shit. Like totally. Same jokes. Literally. <laughs> it, was like a it, was a, it was a feeling that you'd somehow forget. And and maybe it was different for these guys. I mean, I always thought that, like, for me, that it meant, I don't know, it was kind of a selfish attitude. But I thought it meant more to me because these guys are all in other great bands and, and get to play music. And I feel like that was all I had. But I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think there was something about Tin Horn that was different for all of us, no matter what other bands we've been in and how successful they were, that we wanted that back. And, and when we did get back together, you remembered that feeling and like, there's something special here and there's something special about this group of guys that we'll never have again, you know? And, and that's something that kind of tears me up. Like, even though I knew we weren't gonna like be torn together or anything like that, like I thought I'd always have these guys. Like I said before, like I'm never gonna forget these relationships. But I like sitting here now and, and talking about these stories and stuff is is great. But I thought that's something I'd always be able to do with all these guys, and, and a lot of that like has, has uh, made me value more of these relationships that I have. Yeah, and I mean, you know, uh, when Mikey passed too, um, similar thing happened. The reason again, I guess, going back to the very beginning, we decided to record some songs again. The only positive out of that was that, you know, we had a chance again to kind of record together, at least, you know, the remaining members one more time and, you know, rehash a little bit of that. You know, it was it was definitely bittersweet that day we recorded with with Nick, 
because something was missing, clearly. Um, and, you know, it was a lot different from how it had been in the past, but we th- I, I still relish the fact that we got to do that at least one more time and at least, you know, put out another Tin Horn Prayer release and to be able to, to talk about it again. Um, so, yeah, I don't know when... I don't know which, you know, when we're going to be able to. It was the only positive about it was was that, and yeah, we were getting a little too lost in this. But um, anyone else? <laughs> yeah, I'm, it was kind of weird when everything started falling apart. It was really weird because a lot of it came to a head when I wasn't there. I wasn't able to do the tour, and so I, you know, a lot of. I, I don't know if it was so much that I didn't really understand some of the gravity of the situations, but I kind of felt like, in a naive way, I was just thinking, you know, I was more concerned with some of Mikey's personal issues and thinking that everything else would just work itself out. You know, kind of waited and waited, and then it, it seemed like it wasn't really getting any better. And, and it was just kind of weird because I felt like uh, I don't think I ever really had time to really process it or deal with it, you know, and then when... And it was really hard when Camden passed and and we decided to get back together. It was kind of like, almost felt like kind of avoided processing all that stuff. And I, I don't know, it just so, you know, when, when Mike passed, and that was just kind of the end. It really hit me. I had a lot of stuff to just, you know, deal with all that. That past stuff kind of hit me pretty heavy, but... Throughout the whole thing, I always just thought, you know, you know, Mike was going to get his thing, his life in order, and everything was going to be back to normal. I was, we were going to write another record. You know, it's just kind of weird that how things ended up. What a bummer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as we're sinking down deeply into getting more and more depressing about this, um, I think you know those songs that we recorded. We're very cathartic for all of us. We got to say some things that we didn't we, were not, we didn't get to say. And, you know, wrapping everything up, you know, we always talked about the things that were really on our minds. We were always a very honest group. We were always very honest lyric writers. Um, it, was, it was a good thing to be able to say those things to people that we cared about a lot. Um, I'm glad we got to do them. I think, you know, if we talk about those things that kind of affect your life in a kind of a profound way that you'll always go back to and write music about and whether that is getting arrested and dealing with the law or like fucking meeting Mike you know like or being in Tin Horn Prayer or anything like that like that's why we played music in the first place is so we can immortalize those things and um, you know we, we have and that's why I'm glad those songs are out there and I think um, and those last two songs I think for you know, obviously, like people that obviously aren't in the band that were close to Mikey. I think that I think that meant a lot to people who liked this band and like some of our close friends and things. Um, and like even you know, extending to Mike's, Mikey's family and things like that. I think that helped because they they knew how much he cared about music and how much he cared about Tin Horn, and I think that was pretty cathartic for a lot of people, not just in the band. I mean, I think part of, I'm not sure what you were wanting with this interview, but um, 
you know, it was kind of with, with the with the two songs coming out. And I know all of us kind of felt like um, we're very hesitant to do these kinds of things about these songs. It's not just because like Mikey's not a part of them, but um, almost like there's this fear that people if they were trying to capitalize on on you know Mikey's passing and, and we're even these songs weren't like. They're not for anyone else. You mean like, we're not going to get paid for any of this? Yeah. Just like we haven't got paid for anything else we've ever done? <laughs> but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess... Uh, I don't really think that people... people have, as far as people that know us personally, I, there's no way that anyone thinks that. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, but people who don't know us yeah. could it's think that. Yeah. And even it's if people want to sure. think that, they can kiss my ass anyways because, I mean, you, you know, anyone that knows us for a second knows that's not what it's about, but... You know, regardless of what anybody else thinks, that day that we spent recording these songs, it pretty much encapsulated the whole time we've ever been together. And, I mean, we laughed. The sense of humor is still there. We were just sick and wrong jokes, laughing. Everything was just amazing. Drank a lot of beers. We all cried like babies. It (laughs) It was amazing. It was like all, it was basically our whole time together wrapped up in one day, you know? Yeah. So, to me, that's worth more than anything. So, and, and the whole thing of this was just you guys telling your stories, talking about your final moments, so that people that maybe weren't here uh, for the funerals and whatnot can maybe join in in a piece of that too. Yeah, I think I think the uh, you know I think well, I kept telling Damien this was like our exit interview, but I think and this is going to sound super cheesy, but you know my other my only Thunder just got back together like last weekend, and those songs still live on in a certain way because like you put them back out there people find them all the time you know like it doesn't people will discover this band 10 years down the road 15 years down the road because we recorded music they'll look back on it they'll know like what we did together um so you know it's the exit interview or whatever but like it's just kind of a joke just because that's what you say when you get fired from something but (laughs) and and, like you still play tin horn songs absolutely yeah don't you play tin horn songs you're an old hickory. Speaking I, of that, yeah, you owe us royalties on those songs that you play all the time. Because I wrote yeah, one no, of those. No, no. Mikey owns the rights to all of them. Oh, right. <laughs> He's got contracts. But but the Besides, music. I make it a point to only play Andy's songs just to spite him. <laughs> <laughs> but but the music will live on in spite of this tragedy, I suppose. Right? What's that? The music will live on, right? Oh yeah, music. your music. Music does live on. I mean, well, that, that sounds super cheesy too, but well, it does. Yeah. But I mean, I guarantee you, there's probably some kid around that likes that music. That's he's probably sitting with an acoustic guitar right now, learning "Dear Friends" or something. You know? Yeah. Well, or, and I mean, in this digital age, I think it even 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 it happens more so. Like there were plenty of us when we were young. We were listening to albums that were our parents or our older siblings or something that were maybe even bands that weren't even together anymore. But it's because you actually somebody had the cassette or something and. So, you know, maybe in this day and age, like, it's even more relevant, like, like these songs are going to live on and, and people will remember them. Of course, I suppose anytime they hear uh, Rosie, they'll think we kiped it from uh, Kanye uh, West or Ka- whoever that was. Uh, Rihanna. Oh, yeah. Rihanna. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of, she owes I us royalties. I didn't. Popped it from Alan Lomax. <laughs> Look them up, kids. <laughs> yeah. um, so they're about to kick us out. We, we've, we've talked pretty long. Do we want to end on a positive note or a somber note? Let's go positive. Uh, we're starting to go positive for sure. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I don't know how to go positive. Andy, you're a good podcast host, co-host. No, seriously. Um, yeah. Um, 
I don't know what I was going with that. I was just I was hoping that in the midst of me going like, how do we get positive? We'd figure it out no, um, together. No, but I guess the thing is that we're still together. You guys are still friends, totally. still hanging out. Yeah, we'll see each other. Enough. Oh. Only Thunder got together this weekend. Uh. Pinhead's gonna play some more shows. Like. Maybe no. You're shaking your head no. We're only no. here for positive reasons. We're only here yeah. because Tin yeah. means so much to us. That's why we're here. I mean, that's a positive. Like I said earlier, such a huge impact on our lives and maybe a little bit on other people's lives. But this will always be one of the most important things in my life, even 50 years from now. Absolutely. Yeah. There's. Um, yeah, and yeah, there's. I mean. Tinhorn and the, and music in general, you know, it'll always bring people together. There wouldn't be so many ways to honor Mike and Cameron if it wasn't for music, um, you know. And you know, we'll always have to remember that. And you know, it's very sad, but we're at the point now where we can really look back on everything those guys did together. And when we, you know, bite the dust, who knows how long from now? I'll, I'll hope the same for me will be remembered about me. Thanks, Damien. And just think. We made it so kids that used to just ask for change can now play music, for <laughs> play banjos and get spare change. So we kind of we made a change in the world. That's true. Yeah. yeah. You're welcome. You're yeah. welcome, train kids. Well, guys, we got together for a sad reason, but this was fun, and that's the way it should be. So thank you. What's Thanks for hanging out. Let's do a bump. Let's do a bump for the podcast. <laughs> Do a podcast bump. You do it. <laughs> I don't really do bumps, but okay. Right, you do it. What you think the podcast is called? Say, <laughs> hey, this is Ethan from Tinhorn Prayer, and you're listening to. This is Ethan from Tinhorn Prayer, <laughs> and you're listening to the airing of grievances. It's <laughs> beautiful. It's perfect. Pretty good. Hey, uh, he hasn't said anything all night. You got any final words? Hey, yes. No. <laughs> All right, guys. Um, Thanks, dude. Hey, so the EP is online. Are you guys? Is there going to be a physical copy of this? Maybe uh, Corey, who we fired all those years ago, is actually doing uh, a tape for it because, we're, like I said, we still love him and we're still friends. So uh, he should be doing a tape on his uh, record label, Added Warmth. Um, and I just sent him the stuff like oh, two days ago. So yeah, uh, and it's two dollar download. Where does that two dollars go? <laughs> to my bank account, if everyone actually anyone pays for it. No, well, I didn't pay for it. It either. actually goes to pay for the hosting services because it costs forty dollars a year. So. Oh, okay. Well, there remember you go. that. All right, guys. Uh, any last words before we uh, get kicked out of this brewery? No, uh, thanks, Damien. Uh, yeah, thank, thank you. you. That's this is uh, a lot of fun. I just I just want to thank Cereal Brewery for letting us hang out, and I'm still waiting for the petting zoo to open. Uh, and, and anyone who listens to this entire podcast, thank you, and I'm. Sorry, your life is so miserable that you would listen to this entire thing. <laughs> wow. wow. Good work. Thanks, Ethan. All right, guys. Um, all right, we'll see you later. I think he means more about just listening to us ramble. It's the most sober I've ever seen you at the end of one of these. Yeah, so thanks. Oh. Yeah, Corey, send it to him. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> New tin
buddies. Uh, thanks, thanks to the guys in Tin Horn Prayer for hanging out and chatting. Of course, can't thank the guys in Tin Horn Prayer without thanking Mikey Herrera, Camden Trindler. You know, the, their contributions are endless and great. And I didn't know Camden well, but uh, goddamn, I loved Mikey. Um, let's thank uh, Scooter James, Andy Thomas, Dan Gilbert, Eric Epling, Ethan Stevenson for hanging out and chatting at Cerebral Brewing and making this happen. And thanks to the guys at Cerebral Brewing for letting us post up in the corner, plug it in, uh, mixing board microphones, and let this thing happen. And really, damn nice brewery, damn great brewery. Screwed James kept joking about it smelling like a petting zoo, but that's just what you get from uh, from a brewery. And uh, damn good beers. And if you're ever looking for something to do before a show at Bluebird or Lost Lake, please stop by in there and check it out. Their IPA was divine. Um, seriously, probably the second best brewery in Denver right behind our longtime sponsors at Ratio. Um, I really don't have anything else to say. What else is there to say about Tin Horn Prayer other than that I feel fairly confident that this is not the last interview. This is not the last time we'll hear from these guys. As you just heard, they get along so well. They fit so well together. They work so well together. And as you, you hear from this EP, Love Under Will, they fit so well together. And I think I think we're going to hear more from them. Maybe not next year. Maybe not the year after. Ten years from now, we might get another another long-lost uh, Tin Horn Prayer EP. Um Again, I don't have anything else to say, buddies. Uh, visit MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com if you like the way my voice sounds and you want to hear me drink too many beers and talk to bands like an idiot. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, man. I'm. <sighs> Let's go ahead and close this song out with another another song off the Love Under Will EP by Tin Horn Prayer. You can pick it up at TinHornPrayer.Bandcamp.com. Uh, and this song is Once More. It's Andy Thomas' song. And uh, buddies, I can't wait to hear what comes down the line from these guys in the future. Because this isn't it. This isn't the last one. It's not the last one, right? Once more, Tin Horn Prayer. See you in the funny pages, buddies. Take care now. Tell someone you love you love them. I love you.
Last dying day. 